Today's video was recorded on November 30th, 2021, and is the ninth lesson in our weekly Bible study through the book of Matthew. In today's lesson, we're going to explore the background to the question that Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? Because when we understand the method of Bible interpretation that Jesus is using to answer this question, it's going to take us deeper into the message that he's conveying to his audience. And we're going to see just how important it is that we're able to see the image of God in those around us. So we hope you enjoy this lesson on the background to the question of the greatest commandment. Now, before we begin, just a quick logistical note. If you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel or our podcast on Apple iTunes, make sure you go ahead and do that. Hit that subscribe button below so you won't miss any episodes in the future. All right, now on to today's lesson. So I'm really hoping that tonight, this to me is one of those teachings that when you see what's going on, it's almost like you've heard this a thousand times your entire life, but we don't know the backstory of what's happening behind the scenes. And there's, a, there's something that's it's very impactful when you notice what's going on behind the scenes of what Jesus is doing as he's connecting commandments. This particular lesson to me, I think, is just one that ever since I heard it, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, just blew my mind. And I thought, oh, why don't we ever talk about that? So God willing, I'll be able to communicate that tonight. It's about the greatest commandment. Now, again, I, like I said, we've heard this a thousand times, but what, what I want to do is pull back the curtain a little bit and see what's going on behind it. How do we understand that phrase, the greatest commandment, and then what is Jesus up to in this whole dialogue? Okay, so the greatest commandment, let me see if I can get my clicker to work. And this, of course, little delay in our timeline. So we're up to week nine of this particular study. And we'll do week 10 next week. That's the, the crucifixion, of course, is how Matthew's going to end. Um, we'll do the crucifixion. And then for two weeks after that, we'll look at the book of Judges. And it takes us a little closer to Christmas than I wanted, but it's okay, because there's some just unique symbolism inside the book of Judges that most people just don't know that is there, but I think is relevant for this particular time. So in this, uh, the, the picture that I have up tonight, as we talk about the greatest commandment, it's taking place at the Temple Mount. So Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. He's entered Jerusalem as the coming king. And now he's interacting uh, both friend and foe up on that Temple Mount. And this is it in Jerusalem. That's the Temple Mount that Jesus would have known. Now, in that picture, you see this mosque. Now, that mosque as was built later, but that's where God's house used to sit. So as Jesus would go into Jerusalem and worship at the temple, there used to be a temple sitting right there where that mosque is. So that obviously wasn't there when Jesus was there. But if we move that circle over, that entire wall, that western wall, and that entire complex on which the temple mount or the temple sat, what we call the temple mount, was built by Herod the Great, and that's exactly what Jesus would have known. He would have come into Jerusalem and walked right up to that. So anyways, this was there when Jesus was there, and he would have been up on that Temple Mount 
debating. And this is what we're going to see today. We're going to enter the debate and watch what he's doing with the text and then see how deeply he's taking these commandments and, and the, the impact that it can have on our lives. So he's in a conversation. What's the greatest commandment? We've heard this again a thousand times. And so what I want to start tonight is by actually reading it in the text. And so Matthew 22 is where we want to go. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 22. It's going to be verses 34 to 40. For this one, I chose the ESV, the English Standard Version. Usually I use the NIV, so I decided to go with the ESV instead. I think there was something about the way they were phrasing it. It was what I really wanted to, to see. So, okay, so Matthew 22, it's 34 to 40, and he's engaging in debate. Uh, in dialogue with, in this case, the Pharisees. So let me start, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So he had just uh, had a debate with the Sadducees, and of course, they couldn't answer him. He get, they get all upset. But now the Pharisees are going to roll in to see if they can get him. So verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Now, lawyer is probably a little misleading because it's not like a lawyer that we know today. It's a Torah scholar, somebody who studies the law, expert in the law. Some of your Bibles might say expert in the law. So a lawyer, well, not like our lawyers today. It would be a, it would be a Bible student, someone who studies the Torah. So they stood up to test him. And here's the question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now that word law, he would have, if he was speaking Hebrew, he would have said in the Torah. Which of the commandment, which of all the commandments in the Torah, of all 613 commandments in the Torah, as we'll see today, which is the greatest? And we're going to talk about what does that mean? What's he asking? Okay, so Jesus answers. He goes on. Verse 37 now. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, or you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second like it. So notice what's happening. He says, which is the great commandment? One, Jesus responds by giving him two. He says, okay, here's the first one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might or mind here. This is the great and first commandment, verse 39. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he answers the question with two commands rather than one. And the crowd never says a word. Nobody called foul. Wait a minute. You just gave us two commandments. So what's going on here? What is Jesus up to as he's doing this? And then I'll finish verse 40. It's on these two commandments that depend or hang all the law and the prophets. All right. Now, this is what we're going to be doing today. They got two commandments. How does Jesus, how is he able to get away with that? How does he take two commandments and say, nope, they're exactly the same commandment? That's what we'll look at tonight. And I'll give you a little bit of a clue here. 
And we're going to finish tonight by explaining this idea. Right here, I will highlight them. There's two different commandments. We'll talk about them in a minute. But each commandment shares a similar Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word only shows up four times in the entire Old Testament. It's not used very often. And when you see all four times, you'll be like, you almost, when you see how it's used four times, you almost assume that it's divinely inspired text or something like that, right? Because you don't think a human being could, would be able to put that together. But the Hebrew word, ve'ahavta, translates, you shall love. That's one Hebrew word. So in the first one, you shall love the Lord your God. And the second one, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus is up to. He's going to connect these two commandments by a rule that allows him to do that. So you shall love. And again, the crowd, at least it's not recorded that the crowd complained that he gave them two um, verses instead of one. So, okay, that's the text. There's the dialogue. If you read it in Mark, by the way, Mark adds more. Uh, Hero Israel. He, he goes back to, the, to uh, Deuteronomy verse, uh, 6, verse 4. We'll look at that in a minute. Okay, so the greatest commandment. This is what we're going to be exploring. We want to look at what the background to why this question is being asked, what is going on as Jesus is answering it. And then I'm going to show you one aspect of what it means that one commandment is greater or heavier, carries more weight than another one. How they use that idea of the greatest commandment. Because if you, you look in certain commentaries and they'll mention this, and so I just want to make sure you know there's a concept around it. So we'll, we'll explore some of that um, in, while we're doing the background. So, okay, the first thing to note in the background is the context that Jesus is in, and this is really important for Christians to know, is Jesus isn't making these two commandments up. He's not making new commandments. These are Old Testament commandments. So the context is, because they don't have their New Testament yet, Jesus, according to our scripture, the Hebrew Bible, what's the most important commandment? And he comes up with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and it's what's called the Shema. And the Shema is, even today, uh, any Jewish synagogue, the Shema is the number one commandment. It's the most important one. Shema, the word Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. So they just call it the Shema. So Deuteronomy uh, 6. And then the other one is from Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18. Do not bear a grudge or seek revenge, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's important to know, uh, and I, you know, sometimes we speak so abs, we, we pull these verses kind of out of the Old Testament and talk about them so abstractly that we forget to put them back in the Old Testament. And so that's one of the things that I want to do tonight. All right, so that's where it's coming from. And we will read them in a minute. So hang with me, we'll get there. But that's just step one background. Okay, what we're going to do, at least for a small portion tonight, is when you hear the phrase greatest commandment, 
one thing that they mean by this is that that commandment becomes a lens through which all the other commandments ought to be understood. So it's, a, it's almost like a meta-commandment. It's a commandment for all the other commandments. What's the greatest of the commandments? And I'll show you an example. Uh, we'll go through a bunch with when it comes to these two commands. But it's, it's the way to view it, and that's kind of what they mean, not just, okay, if we only obey that one, then we can let go of all the rest. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he wants you to do is look at the com- all the other commandments through the lens of the greatest commandment. So if, God, if, if you say, I love God as the greatest commandment, and then God says, uh, okay, you know, I don't know, pick a random commandment, eat kosher. Well, why do, you, why do you obey that? Well, because God said so, right? It's just, if you're following the greatest commandment, well, who are we to question something small like that, right? Uh, a commandment to love God is about obedience, right? God's love language, if you remember that book, The Five Love Languages, what's God's love language? Obedience. That's how you show your love towards God, is you obey Him. And so, it becomes the, why do I obey this commandment? Because I love God. That's the lens. Why do I obey this other commandment? Because I ought to love my neighbor. And that's the other lens. So we'll talk about that. And you can always debate these, you know, which commandments for any given situation. But the point is, is I'll show you how it becomes a lens to interpret all the other commandments. So that's one way of looking at the greatest commandment. And then, of course, we'll finish with with Jesus taking these two commands, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, 18, and he's going to say, that's exactly the same commandment. When you love your neighbor, that's how you love God. How do you love God? Love the one that's made in the image of God. And so he's basically saying, they're exactly the same commandment. So you can't say, I love God, and hate the person next to you. It doesn't work. Okay, so he's going to stick those two together, and then it takes us really deep into, oh no, what do we do now? Because I got to learn how to forgive these, these people next to me that are annoying me. Okay, uh, that's introduction. Now, on your handout, I want to go just, just through some background. This is background uh, to this whole question, what's the greatest commandment? And the traditional rabbinic view is there are 613 commandments in the Torah. That's Genesis through Deuteronomy. So, um, 613 commandments. Traditionally, that's how they count them. I'll show you a little diagram because I think it's a much more dynamic relationship than what we're, we often think, right? I used to think it was just a random list of things and you just had to. F- obey them for no reason. But that's not it at all. These are, it's very dynamic. The commandments interact. They, they have always, and I say they, the rabbis, and even Jesus and Paul, you interpret one from another. You put them next to each other. You compare and contrast, and you, it's not just a flat list of, you must obey this command. So, I, instead of thinking of the Torah, these commandments, as a, as a list, I think of them as a pyramid. So there's 613 commandments. 
And there's a dynamic interaction between all of those commandments. And in any given situation, one might be more important than another. But what they're doing is they're driving you towards something that if I have a base of understanding, that it drives me in a direction to then, as the world changes around me, say now we're in the 21st century, I've st- I can still pull guiding principles out of this text that's 3,000 years old. It's much more interactive than we give it credit for, or that we often understand. And I think that's just because our lens is looking through the New Testament, and we no time for that tonight, but that's what's happening. 613 commandments, they, they lead us down a path to walk with God. So, um, for instance, this is more like trivia than anything, there's 248 positive commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's one positive. You shall love God. You shall celebrate the Passover. So that's a positive. There's 365 negative commandments. One for every day of the year, apparently. We needed a negative commandment. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. You shall not fill in the blank. 365. So that's kind of how they break up, uh, positive versus negative. And then what we see happening here is the rabbis, including Jesus, notice that there are great, not all commands are equal. There are greater commands than other ones. So you find this all over with Jesus, all over the Gospels. You even find it with Paul. They use a phrase about something being heavier or lighter as they're comparing um, commandments. So the greater commandment or the greatest commandment is the one that sits right at the top of that pyramid. And we would say, well, what's the most important commandment? And nobody disagreed. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God and you know the rest. So that becomes the number one. And then you'd say, well, if that's the greatest one, what's the least, right? Because all the rest are kind of lesser commands. And this is debated, but just so you know, I'll put it up there for the video. Uh, Often in the debate, they say Deuteronomy 22, 6 and 7. That's um, do not remove a mother bird off her nest. Anyways, but again, the whole point is, you're going to have a dynamic interaction where it's moving you in a certain direction, right? They clearly see that, you know, a commandment like murder creates far more chaos in the world. That's a, a greater commandment not to murder than, say, don't eat catfish. Catfish are fish that don't have scales. How much chaos does that really bring into the world? Well, it doesn't. And so they recognize. Murder is a greater command than, and what what happens is in the new in the Gospels, what you see Jesus doing is he's often interacting on this level. He's saying which one is more important. Hey, wait a minute! Like for instance, he says this: "There's a commandment, keep the Sabbath." Yes. Hey, we should all keep the Sabbath. That's a commandment. Everybody understands that. But then you go, well, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Are we allowed to circumcise? Because that's a commandment. Should we circumcise on the Sabbath? And if you remember a few weeks ago, 
Jesus said, look, you set aside the command for Sabbath if, if you need to circumcise a male on that day. What about saving a human life? What could be more important than saving a human life? So there, you can see their arguments are more about the dynamic nature of these commandments than simply should we, you know, get rid of them or not, right? Jesus is an anti-commandment. He wants you to put them in the right order. So, okay. So, that being said, when you get the idea of the greatest commandment, what's the greatest commandment? You hear that phrase. One way to think of it is it becomes a lens through which you interpret or implement the other commandments. So, number three on your list, the greatest commandment becomes a lens. How do you implement a certain command? Well, if you love God, then you make sure you follow the command. If you love your neighbor, then you make sure you follow it as you would like someone else to follow it. It becomes an interpretation. So we go like this. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, hear, O Israel. And, oh, by the way, Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. They're exactly the same commandment. And so what happens is the, that becomes a lens like a camera lens, is now we're going to focus on a particular commandment, and we're going to ask ourselves, how would I like to be treated? How should I treat this person? Well, I should treat this person like I want to be treated. Because that's how you demonstrate that you're loving your neighbor as yourself. So I'll show you an example in a minute that has to do with justice. It's just God is uh, very concerned about justice, and I put a number of examples on your sheet that are just, you take a commandment about justice and you put it through the lens of loving your neighbor as yourself. So why should I not judge unfairly? Because I don't like it when people judge me unfairly. Right? Why do I not lie? Because I don't like be people lying to me. So it's not just obey the commandment for God's sake, it's because you should, you should view it through this lens. Okay. So on your sheet, uh, we'll go through some ideas just to give you some examples about how they would use this uh, greatest commandment with justice, right? Justice, uh, justice is very important to God. God knows that in, in order for a uh, community to thrive, there has to be justice, proper justice. So if we're going to implement commands of justice, then we do it through the lens of loving our neighbor as ourself. And what that means, what it would look like practically, is that justice is always tempered with mercy. And, you know, when our hearts get hard, we throw the book at people rather than remember that they're just like us in, in many ways. And how would we like to be treated? So, we always have to temper justice with mercy in order to try to find the truest element of justice in a society. So I put some examples of just within the process of justice. I put some on your sheet. So for instance, I don't think we have any judges in the group, but let's say you were called to be a judge of something, particularly in the legal sense. But you can imagine a judge. What's his job? right? If you're a judge, 
but you find yourself, you could, or I'm sorry, if you're a judge, you could say, well, what would, how would I like someone to be a judge for me, right? What kind of judge do I want? How would I love my neighbor as myself if I'm the judge, right? And God is very concerned with judges uh, judging fairly, right? What kind of judge do you want? Do you want one that takes a bribe? You know, can you imagine being in court and finding out that the judge will accept a bribe? Nobody wants that. So you would say, how do we judge? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you judge. You might be called as a witness. What kind of witness would you want? One that tells the truth? So love your, be a witness as you would like someone to be a witness for you. Don't pervert justice by being a malicious witness. And then there's even, you could even take this as far as saying the death penalty, right? So I know there's a lot of disagreement over the death penalty, but God says there are some things that deserve the death penalty. Well, if we love God, then we have to implement that because God's concerned about proper justice. But then you say, well, wait a minute, how would I want to be put to death, right? There's, there are certain things that, um, you know, and this is one of the arguments we have here in the United States. One, do you have a death penalty? But two, if you do, what, what's the method, right? You don't want to do anything that disfigures the body. Each person's made in the image of God. You don't want to torture somebody. That's cruel. You don't let the mob take out their anger on somebody if they were, if they were uh, convicted of death, right? So th this is what they're wrestling with. How do we implement the death penalty, because God says so, at the same time, love our neighbor as ourselves? That's how you, you create the greatest commandment lens, it's something like that. And I just, I wanted to give you those examples because this will be one explanation of what greatest commandment means the lens through which you interpret all other commandments. And it helps you then work dynamically within the commandments rather than just statically. Um, that you can apply mercy in areas of justice as a way of saying, how would I want to be treated in a situation of justice? So, okay. That's just one I want to give. I just want to show you one example of how you can use it as a lens. And I think it's a great exercise to go look at the commandments in, in the Old Testament, thinking about how do I view them through that lens of loving God, I need to obey God, at the same time I need to love my neighbor as myself. Don't allow justice to become perverted because we become selfish. So, okay. Um, now, here's what I want to switch to, because this is really where the meat and potatoes of what Jesus is doing is how is he connecting those two, right? And I've already told you the answer. It's that, it's that one Hebrew word that allows him to connect those two commandments, but there's something really remarkable about what's in the text. So if you flip your sheet over to number four, we'll see number four. Number four is titled, Similar Laws, Similar Verdicts. Now, this was a rule of Bible interpretation that existed amongst the rabbis in Jesus' day. Similar laws, similar verdicts. There's a famous rabbi who lived the generation prior to Jesus. His name was Hillel. So go to any large college uh, or university in the, in the nation, you'll find a Hillel Center. 
There's one at SDSU. There's one at UCSD. And Hillel had this list of rules for Bible interpretation. This is what Jesus is doing. He's using one of those. You'll find them throughout the New Testament. Now, the problem, of course, is that we, uh, we aren't fluent in Hebrew, and we don't have our Old Testament memorized in Hebrew. That's always a disadvantage, and because Jesus and his audience did. So, one word out of that Old Testament brings everybody's mind to what you're talking about. So, this is the rule. Let me just show you. I'm just going to put it up for the video because I want people who follow on later, if they want to go look up. In Hebrew, it's called Gezerah Shavah. Now, you don't need to know that. But again, like I said, for, the, for those who will come later and watching it on video, I just want you to know if you Googled Gezerah Shavah, you'll find what we're talking about. Although probably not uh, connected to Jesus unless you find a Christian site that's doing it. So, similar laws, similar verdicts. And here's what it says. If you have, let's say you have two commandments, and you have the same Hebrew word in both commandments, even though the, look, the commandments look different, you should be able to put them together. The, the ruling of one commandment equals the ruling of the other one when the words match. So it's a, it's a way of compare, comparing com commandments. And this is especially true when the word is only used two or three times in the entire Hebrew Bible, and in this case, four times. So that's important. If you have a word that's used a hundred times, well, you can't do it. But when it's only used a few times, then you can do it. Again, Jesus is not making some kind of random connection of, of commandments. He's working within the, con, uh, the context of his, his people group, his uh, contemporaries. So if you look at uh, number five on your sheet, the Hebrew word well, in English, we would say, and you shall love, or it could be, but you shall love, is one Hebrew word, and I have it on there, I have it on the screen as well as on your sheet, and the Hebrew word is ve'ahafta. Again, I do that for the video, so anybody watching later, we can... But ve'ahafta, one word, and you shall love. And then what we'll do is we'll look up the four times that it's used later, and, wa and watch the connection. But this is exactly what Jesus is doing. You could look him up and say, is there a connection? Of course there is. Um, but that's what Jesus is emphasizing the connection to these. And so what we want to do is go deeper. What's the meaning in all of that? So that's really the phrase. Okay, now what I want you to do is we're going to read in your Bible, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. So go ahead and we'll start in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. We'll begin with that one. As I mentioned earlier, this commandment is called the Shema because the first word in verse 4, uh, the word Shema means to hear. Hear, O Israel. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, there is no word for obey or obedience. It's Shema, to hear. So, if you want to have an obedient heart, you need a listening heart or a hearing heart. So, hear, O Israel, there's an implication of obedience as well. 
Okay, so Deuteronomy 6.5, let's read this one, and you'll see right off the bat there, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you have that phrase leading off, you shall love, Hebrew ve'ahavta. Okay, that's the, first, that's the first commandment, so loving God. And then what I want you to do is now turn over to Leviticus 19.18. So you can read that one, and you'll notice, and we've talked about this in the past, what Jesus is quoting is only the second half of Leviticus 19.18. That's important to know, because your neighbor's probably going to give you a reason, right, where you might be upset, and then you have to work your way back to loving them as, uh, loving your neighbors yourself, and that's the process of forgiveness. So Leviticus 19.18, the second half says this, well, the the first part begins, do not seek revenge, and then it's but. But you shall love, there's the and you shall love, or the but you shall love, your neighbor as yourself, ve'ahavta. So this is how Jesus is making the connection. One Hebrew word brings them together. And we call it similar laws, similar verdicts. If you have the same word or some same phrase, we can get the same meaning out of it. So if we look at it here, we put them right next to each other, Deuteronomy 6.5, and you shall love God, Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor. And now he's connecting them, and what's going on here? How are these two commandments? Because Jesus is saying they're the same commandment, right? Well, how do you love God? Who's made in the image of God? Your neighbor. So if you want to demonstrate your love to God, your neighbor is in the image of God, then you better love your neighbor. And Jesus is saying that's exactly the same commandment. So loving your neighbor isn't just a nice sentiment. It's how you go out and love God because they're made in the image of God. And that's really the deeper uh, meaning that's going on here. If you can't love your neighbor, how do you love God? Now, I understand people give us all kinds of reasons to get upset, right? I know people can be annoying, people do things we don't like, people hurt us. Just as God forgives us for all of our faults, right, and we're annoying sometimes, then what do we need to do? Well, if we're going to love God, then we need to hone our skill set for forgiveness and so that we can move back into this idea of loving our neighbor. So loving your neighbor is the same exact thing, according to Jesus, as loving God. This, to me, I think, it takes it to a different level, because it's not just, a, again, not just a nice sentiment. It says, no, 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 they're exactly the same thing. And that's how you move towards loving God. You demonstrate your love to God by loving our neighbor. Even the ones, because you remember the first half of Leviticus 19.18 is, don't seek revenge, which means someone did something to you, right? So somebody's going to hurt you at some point. Someone's going to betray you at some point. How do we get past that? That's one of the main messages, of course, of Jesus. So similar laws, similar verdicts, and you shall love. Now, let me take it one step further just to show you how deep this goes. I want to show you all four times that this shows up. Now, I'm not going to have you go look at them. They're on the bottom of your sheet. But if we look at 
two of them, two of these commandments are all about loving God. So Deuteronomy 6, 5, and you shall love the Lord your God. There's, we see Ve'ahavta. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5, which we just read. And then Deuteronomy 11, 1. And it starts off the same way. And you shall love Ve'ahavta, the Lord, and obey his commandments. So those two times, we're talking about loving God. Then it's used two more times in the Old Testament, and both of those show up in Leviticus 19, same chapter. And this time it's saying, you're supposed to love the one made in the image of God. So Leviticus 19.18 says, but you shall love Ve'ahavta, your neighbor. There's the first one. And then the second one, Leviticus 19.34 and you'll have to go back and read this one later, but it's, it's talking about the foreigner among you. You were foreigners once in Egypt, so therefore you shall love, Ve'ahavta, the foreigner among you. The one, I don't know which is harder, loving somebody that's so different than you that it's kind of like you know they're different. Sometimes I think it's harder when we, we, all the infighting is usually the people who look just like us, live right next to us. You know, it's uh, Catholics and Protestants, right? Or within Christian groups, it's like the, the one that's close to us, but boy, there's something different and that kind of makes us a little bit upset. Sometimes it's easier to say, well, I love that guy way over there, maybe because he lives way over there. But either case, this is remarkable. These are the only four times that it shows up in the whole Old Testament. You love God twice. You love the person who's made in the image of God the other two times. And so Jesus is saying, they're exactly the same thing. And that, I don't know, to me, it's just one of the more profound things, because it takes it to another level. That word love, by the way, doesn't mean warm, fuzzy, sentimental feelings like you have towards a spouse or a child or anything. That's impossible. God doesn't expect you to have warm, sentimental feelings uh, for all humanity. It's just impossible. It's, it's do you desire the, the highest possible outcome for them? Do you desire the best for that person? Is it sincere? Is it not fake, right? Are you not faking it? Is it an authentic desire for the best to be manifested? Right? Can you do that? Can you do that with the person who voted different than you? Can you desire that they have a, the highest possible outcome? And sometimes my answer is no. Like somehow I'm secretly saying, well, I forgive them, but uh, I really kind of hope that, you know, boy, they get theirs because I disagree with them. Something like that. It's really tough work. So, but I think what Jesus is doing here takes us a, a, a one level deeper of how we need to act in the world and to make sure that we're paying attention to if we ever allow hatred to start taking over, we need to act on that because it can spin out of control really quickly. Okay, let me go back. I want to just review real quick Matthew. So this, or Matthew 22, it starts off, the whole dialogue starts off. Teacher, what's the great command or what's the greatest commandment in the Torah of all the 613? How do we read the Torah? And then Jesus, of course, responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest. 
and the second like it, the reason he can put them together, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so now he's connecting those two. And this is what I think is really important, this next little verse. On these two commandments depend everything. If you can't both love God and love your neighbor at the same time, this whole thing's not going to work. The rest of the Bible isn't, won't, won't, it won't work. So it all depends on this. We've got to be able to, to move in that direction and to be able to um, do both. Love the one that's in the image of God. So, okay, the greatest commandment. The two things. One, first of all, it's a lens to understand all other commandments. Very important. It's a great way to study the commandments of the Old Testament through this lens that Jesus gives us. And then two, similar laws, similar verdict says when there's something similar about them, they have the same meaning. So to love your neighbor as yourself means you're loving God. It's one and the same. You know, there's so much more going on sometimes. And I love, you know, this is really one of my goals for this ministry is to open up these windows to help people see behind the scenes what's going on, what's being connected. And I know it's not always easy when I'm throwing Hebrew words at you and things like that, but it's at least you know the window is there. I want to help people go deeper. Uh, you know, the deeper you can go in the text, the more enjoyable your reading becomes. And I think these things, the deeper they go, the more solidly they sit with us, that uh, they impact the way that we actually walk in the world so that we walk as Jesus walks. So Scripture is this book of great potential, but it's only potential until a human being comes along, reads the text, and puts it into action, right? As Jesus says, become doers of the words, not just hearers of the word that we could grab that text and say, I got it, Jesus. There's a real reason here. I got to love my neighbor as myself, because that's how I show my love to God. So, okay, that's week nine, the greatest commandment or commandments, but they all turn into one commandment. And so next week, we'll look at um, the crucifixion. And of course, really the betrayal. It's the betrayal that's happening. Jesus is betrayed on all sides by everybody, especially those people who weren't supposed to betray him, the religious leaders. And through that betrayal, he moves, right? And sometimes we're going to be betrayed. And we're going to look at this story and say, how do I respond in betrayal? Of course, because betrayal is obviously not, not any fun for anybody. Okay. So that's week nine. Let me go ahead and stop the sharing. So everyone's going to pop back up on the screen here. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the background of the greatest commandment and the profound nature of Jesus's response. If you found this teaching valuable, we ask that you would consider making a financial donation to support Fig Tree Ministries. Our operations rely entirely on the generous donations from our supporters and your financial support directly impacts our ability to continue to expand our reach and help others just like you go deeper into the biblical text. The clearer we understand scripture, the deeper we can go into the text, the more solid the foundations of our faith become. 
so we've included a link below in the description sections that will take you directly to the Fig Tree Ministries donation page. As we go out today, we'll use the words of God from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his shalom.